0: This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that uh, John Syracuse cannot complain about it. Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm Dan Benjamin. This is episode number 10, uh, 11. Almost a 10. It's 11. We want to uh, preemptively thank MailChimp.com. We'll tell you about what they uh, what they've got going on later in the show but uh, here it is big number 11 We feel, I feel like we crossed some milestone by going you know it's like when people would celebrate the new millennium at, uh, in, in 2000 but really that it's not it's not till 2001 for example that you're supposed to celebrate that you knew that
1: I was actually hoping that we could make it at 10 shows before you rescheduled it we almost
0: made it almost <laughs> this is a good time yeah the great for time an,
1: for at least the next 9 episodes
0: yeah We'll hold out for nine more at least. So what, what have you been up to? you have some follow-up? I do. I have some follow-up.
1: Uh, I always say not a lot, but then it ends up being half the show. So just to, <laughs> just to figure, this is going to be half the show. <laughs> Let's start. Yeah. Uh, so we've got, last show was No I Life is an Island. Yeah, and, good show. Uh, got some feedback on that. One, uh, a lot of people just agreeing, but uh, one person was noting that the uh, iPad... Is not a great multi-person machine. This gets kind of into iOS as a single-user operating system. So wait, you're
0: going back two episodes for follow-up now?
1: Follow-up now no bounds.
0: Okay. All you right. Can, I like that. You know,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, and this is the older follow-up, so it comes first. Uh, so this was uh, Martin Steger, who was uh, noting that iPads think If you have, like, one for the whole family, it's a big fight over, you know who gets to put what on the home screen and whose apps are what and whose email accounts are in the mail app and whose Instapaper account is automatically logged in on the Instapaper. You know what I mean? No, They're not I mean exactly really good multi-user devices. And there's no real reason for it. In theory, they could add fast user switching, you know, dump everything else out of memory and, and switch to a different user. That might take a little while. It might, uh, you know, decrease the experience. Apple would just say, why doesn't everybody in the family buy an iPad? You know, but at 500 bucks a pop, that's not yet an option. Maybe when they're $150 in five years, uh, then it won't be such a big deal. So Mm -hmm. I expect Apple's going to just stick to its guns on this one and say, iOS, it's one person, one device. There's no user switching. That's ridiculous. We'll get the price down eventually. Don't worry about it eventually. You'll each have one and it won't be a problem. It's kind of like complaining about how, you know, we're all sharing a phone in the family. We have one cell phone and it's annoying because the home screen is not the way I want it. Everyone has their own phone now. Uh, And that's, you know, the thing. So I think eventually everyone will have their own tablet. Thing, I mean, this problem will go away, but for now, it is kind of annoying that you can't share a device. Um, and it's actually it's about to come up in our household because we got our iPad. You did, yeah. You got yours too, right?
0: No, no, no. It's out for delivery today, again, so they say.
1: Oh, you so saw they tried and didn't quite make it.
0: No, they they it sat in Anchorage. not nah, actually, it did. sing sat sit in Anchorage, but before that, it was in. Um, it was in some place, I'm not even sure how to pronounce, in Hong Kong. Is it uh, Lantau, Lantau Island? I don't know. It was there for four or five days. It was in an Anchorage for four or five days. Then it was in Memphis for two days. And Today it says it's on vehicle for delivery. It's taken a tour on its way to you. And I'm not, I mean, you know, again, I don't, I don't mind waiting. I think it would be fun to talk about it, but it, it'll get here when it gets here. There's yeah. pe- Everybody wants it right now. Got to have it right now, day one.
1: Yeah, my wife had the same problem. We ordered one online after she failed to get one in person and she just couldn't wait for the one to come online. So she went to an Apple store early this morning and waited in line and got one and then canceled her online order.
0: Yeah, I knew a lot of people that that were doing that. and Yeah, I mean, bring it to me. Whenever you get it, bring it to me. That's fine. It is kind of annoying that they decide that the inventory goes
1: to the stores first and the people who mail ordered it just have to wait, you know, because it's obvious they've, the entire time we've been waiting for our order to to ship, this supposed three to four weeks, stores have been getting new shipments every single day. So it's like, why not send some of those to the people who ordered theirs? But I guess they have their priorities, you know.
0: I guess they do, and I don't can I, I mean, I I don't really understand the logic of that of how they make how they actually make the decision of where to send what. It seems it's kind of a puzzle. I, I think they think that
1: people who order online are the people who are going to get it anyway, so you don't have to satisfy them. Uh, and the people who go to the stores are the regular Joes, and you want to get those people when you can. Like, the, the guy who ordered it online knew from the second it was announced he was going to get it or knew right. even before that he was going to get it. Whereas someone wandering by in the mall and saying, oh, you know, iPad, I heard about that, and they wander into an Apple store. That gets your kind of casual, yeah. spontaneous, yeah. run-of-the-mill, non-tech followers, and you have to have inventory for them. If I had to make the decision, I would, I would do the same thing. It's just annoying when we're one of the people who, you know, mail-ordered it, but... It's, the stores obviously don't have enough stock as it is, and those are the places where you want to get the new people and poach the uh, you know the the in between customers.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, especially because if, as strange as this sounds, I think for a lot of people, this is almost like an impulse buy.
1: Yeah, or not an impulse buy It's just if you're not in tech circles by now, you've probably heard about the iPad or some sort of tablet, or maybe you get it confused with the iPod Touch, which you call the iTouch. You know, you just <laughs> you know, there's something going on out there. But you're not, it's not in front of your mind. You're like, yeah, whatever. And you just happen to be in the mall or happen to be wherever you are. And the Apple store is there and you kill any time. You'll, you just wander in and say, let me check out what they have here. And then it, then it gets you because you're not prepared to see this thing. You, you hadn't given any thought in your entire life about what it would be like to use a big touchscreen and, and fill around web pages with your finger. And you do it once and you're like, all right, I've got a credit card. How much is this? Right. And you walk out with one. Something else on the iPad before we leave this one to go on the next thing. Uh, this is not really a iPads, but it's from the comment from the same guy. I'm going to guess by his name that maybe he's in Germany, uh, Martin Stieker, But he says that microwave ovens are are not ubiquitous wherever yeah. he is. Yeah, and he says maybe microwave widespread microwave oven use might be an American thing. I hadn't given that much thought, but I suppose that could be true. I don't know. You can tell I me. I don't. Uh, I I can't.
0: It's 2011. I, I am sure that in many countries they don't have luxuries of things like microwaves and – but you get the sense that if, if you can go to a corner store and buy a newspaper and you've got electricity in your house and plumbing and things that work, if you're lucky enough to live in a, that kind of a country, you would just assume that people who are listening to this show, that they have a microwave.
1: Yeah, you would think We're it's just get the first world thing, but, but yeah, but that's the U.S. centric view of the world because really we just don't know anything about the rest of the world. I don't. Not only that, he I, says he doesn't have a microwave and has never had one.
0: How could you get by without a microwave?
1: He says he has a steamer. So maybe like in Europe, it's not. What, a Would you heat thing. up
0: a can of soup in a steamer? I don't know. I guess uh, yeah. you put that right on the stove in a pot. Take 20 minutes to get it to room temperature, or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: it's puzzling to me. But like I said, I think both of us have very U.S. centric views of the world. Oh, and,
0: I, I totally think I I know I do. So, but microwaves are not ubiquitous, huh? I'm, apparently
1: not. Then again, you know, if you write about anything, someone will. This is what the show is going to be about eventually. Someone somewhere will will object or have a counterargument. You don't know if that person is representative of anything except for themselves or their one you know
0: uh, pet peeve. We've There's been times I've had three microwaves. Yeah. Just for convenience sake. I don't want to walk to that end of the kitchen. I'll get one for this. I don't even want to go to the kitchen. We'll put one in here, the bathroom. Chicken, we got one chicken in, the closet. in every
1: pot, a microwave
0: in every room. Put one in the car in case you want to eat while you're driving.
1: All right. Uh, the next one, Apple's online stuff. That was actually the the last show.
0: Um, All right. Episode 10.
1: Yeah. A couple of quick points in this. A lot of people pointed out that Google has Exchange support for the iPhone. Like you connect, you tell your iPhone to connect to it as if it's an Exchange server, and Gmail pretends like it is. Right. Uh, And there were suggestions that that might work better than trying to pop our IMAP from it. I've been a little bit afraid to try it because when I go to the link that's been provided by a bunch of people, it seems to want. To sync everything, like my contacts and my calendar Yes, it, and stuff it like does. That. It does. And I do not want to do that because Google's, Gmail's contacts are horrible because every person you email to or receive email from seemingly ends up in your address book with an email only entry. And that drives me nuts. I want my email book to be, you know to use the word of the last two years, curated. I pick the people that are in it and I, you know, tail their entries and that's it. And I do not want every single person. I, Autocomplete can put those people in there when I start typing an email address. That, then it can suggest anyone I've ever emailed to or from, but I don't want them on my contacts list. So the last thing I ever want to do is allow Google Contacts to flood out like a bunch of green aliens swarming <laughs> all over my... Uh, uh,
0: you do have the ability, I believe, and the chat room seems to be saying this too, you have the ability to control what actually gets synced, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I
1: figured that ability had to be in there, but I'm still just wary of trying it because like, if I get it wrong or I don't turn it off and accidentally sync once, you know, it's, I got I'll be spending an hour cleaning up my contacts because I didn't find the right checkbox. No, you should, right you should be wary of it. Yeah. So I use the web UI for that on, on the phone too. Uh, And another uh, person pointed out, a bunch of people actually, and I should have remembered this because I remember when it happened, that Apple's uh, calendar update, remember when they had that new Mobile Me calendar with the new UI, looks like the iPad UI, way back when? Well, the external feature is like, oh, look at this new UI, and it looks fancy and uses Sprout Core or whatever they're using under the covers, and it looks like the iPad. But the other change internally is that apparently it's server canonical now. It's not like, you know, the, the devices are the canonical representations and they use the computer as the waypoint, it's the server is the source of truth, and everybody else uh, sinks down from that. So it was like a double change there, the UI and the model. Um, and that would be good for me if I actually used MobileMe Calendar, but I don't. And the reason I don't is, and again, this is a, this is a barrier for Apple, not so much based on f- fact, but on perception. My perception is that if I do MobileMe Calendar, well, c- can other people see my calendar and can I share it with them? Do they have to be MobileMe subscribers? You know, I, we pay for MobileMe for the house, but we don't do a family plan. We just have my one account. Yeah and so then i get a calendar but my wife doesn't have a mobile me calendar so do we want to upgrade to the family plan so she can get a mobile me calendar and then what about all my other relatives do they have to get a mobile me or can it sync with google calendars or you know all these questions may have answers that that satisfy all my you know yes you can do this no it's not a problem this is you can do this it's just fine but the fact that i don't know and have no good way to find out without like paying and trying it keeps me away from it and mo- mainly the thing that keeps me away is that i use google calendar for free i know every single person can use it we can share all these calendars among our family and school and whatever else we're sharing calendars with And there's no barrier to entry it's again it's the the for pay model versus the the free with ads model and the free with ads model is a lot easier to sort of go viral than trying to convince everyone you know to pay 99 a year for uh, mobile me so they can use the fancy web ui uh that bothers me about the family pack too like the family pack is better than when they didn't have it because no one was going to pay a hundred dollars a year for every single person in their family but it still bothers me that like if you only pay a hundred dollars a year yeah you can get multiple email accounts but you only get one of the good stuff you get like one set of contacts and you know one calendar and you don't it's not a multi-user thing but just having another email address to someone doesn't give them the full mobile me experience uh And then maybe I would pay for the family plan if I liked MobileMe more, but no one else really cares about syncing. Everyone else uses free web services and I just use the MobileMe Sync stuff. So the last bit of follow-up was also from the online thing. And that's about uh, one of the points I made later in the show. When I thought about it, it was another aspect of that that I should have talked about and I want to talk about it now. Uh, I made the point uh, that Google's operations were its biggest advantage in terms of like data centers and how they run there. That was when you were
0: quizzing me about it, right?
1: Yeah, and I asked yeah. you what you thought it was. And a lot of people would say, like, what's their search algorithm or they're great at selling advertising or whatever. But uh, I was saying that their biggest advantage is that operation stuff. And there was an aspect of it that I didn't, don't think I quite focused on enough and I wanted to revisit it. Uh, it's not so much, it's not just the stuff that we talked about in terms of how they manage the data centers, how they buy commodity hardware and have tweaked it so they have these custom things and, and, they, and they build everything so the machines can fail and stuff like that. They that is all true, but the the key thing that's an advantage to them is that that stuff is not off the shelf stuff. It's not as if you, if you wanted to do to be in a uh, make a similar business where you're in cloud computing or whatever, you could study up, read a bunch of books, read a lot on the web, and then just you know get some combination of like Nginx, MongoDB, Memcache, MySQL, Oracle, and like combine it together with best practices and come up with something like Google. The Google does not use that stuff, or rather it uses that stuff in limited capacities, but it, it's sort of, you know, it's custom. It's not off the shelf. They're not using the same open source software as everyone else for the most part. Uh, in and some cases, are,
0: they even, like with Go, they even invent their own stuff.
1: Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's all their own stuff that they're inventing for the for the hardcore, uh, you know, infrastructure. And that's why the, the strategy of you should do what Google does. If you have an online business, Google's created operations, you should do just what they do. You can't do what they do because... They're not, you know, everyone thinks if you're starting a web 2.0 startup, just figure out what what the best practices are and look at what everyone else is using and just, you know, hire a bunch of people who can figure it out and build something on that. But if you're going to imitate Google, you can't do that because you can't, you don't have access to the stuff that they have access to. They're the only ones with this technology. And it's kind of like a secret weapon in like a world where all the weapons are increasingly open, where... Everybody has access to all these open source, you know, infrastructure things. Everybody can use Apache. Everyone can can look at the latest, greatest NoSQL database and, you know, give it a spin. You know, anybody can use MySQL. Anybody can buy Oracle. But you don't have access to those things that Google has. And there are some open source alternatives, like people see what Google has and like, well, fine, Google, you're not going to give us that thing. Well, we're going to write Hadoop to try to make something that's similar to what you have. And there are cases where Google makes something and releases it. Like Go, they invent this language and say, here, you want to use Go? Go nuts with it. Have fun. Uh, but for the most part, its core infrastructure stuff is not distributed as open source software. And it's, and it's their you know, key advantage here. And it's kind of like like it's a question of how big a lead do they have? Because eventually the open source stuff will catch up with this or they'll release it as open source because they won't see it as so much of a competitive advantage anymore or you know, the world will move on in some other way. But they do have what, what feels kind of like Apple's 10-ish year lead on the GUI where Apple had the best yeah, GUI yeah. for, uh, you know, they had a big lead on everybody else. And, and they, you know, you could say they took advantage of that lead a little bit to make tons of money in the 90s, but they also kind of squandered it. And I'm wondering what Google will do with its lead. Because it, it had, especially, you know, three or four years ago, just a humongous lead on everybody in terms of operations. And they're right. still ahead, but I feel like people are kind of catching up.
0: Well, and if you, if you really, if you think about it, what you can do with, the cloud services that are out there today, whether it's with Rackspace or Amazon or, or whoever, it, it, it really is possible to all of a sudden scale up really, really, really quickly to unimaginable sizes, sizes that you never in a million years could have gotten to. Uh, you can do that now just literally by, by checking some boxes and hitting submit with a credit card. And that's I'm not saying that of, people can go and compete with Google in that yeah, well, way. Well, that's the
1: minor leagues, though. The minor it leagues have gotten easier. It, it's, easy, it's easier to go from zero to pretty darn big with yeah. all these minor league things. But if you want to go to the major leagues, like I'm thinking of another company that's at Google scale, I think of maybe Facebook. Uh, and I, they invent some stuff on their own, but for the most part, they're using commodity stuff. But it, re- it really depends on the nature of your application. But the bottom line is that all these companies, you have to control your own destiny somewhat. somewhat. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to base my whole business on, on anybody's cloud, thing on EC2 or on Amazon's own app engine or anything like that, at a certain point, when you get to a certain size, that becomes a liability. You either have to buy the company that you're relying on, right? You know, we're using this Amazon EC2. Should we just buy Amazon <laughs> or you have to roll your own because it's just too much of a risk to, to have something that critical relying on, on another party. So you have to either roll, roll your own out of uh, open source parts or co- commercial parts or build it all yourself. And that's why Google is up there on its throne with all its old custom stuff that it has honed over years and years that it continues to improve. A lot of which the key parts are not available to other people, and they say, "Okay, you know, come at us. You want to, Facebook? You want to do it with huge swarms of servers with PHP on them and some weird database stuff that you invent yourself? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll take that bet." Uh, and again, not that infrastructure alone makes you succeed, but uh, it's a. I think it's a big part of why uh, Google it's Google's biggest advantage. And the the other part of this is the just do what Google does. It's kind of the equivalent uh, sort of useless advice to the advice that you hear of just do what Apple does and for the same reasons because when people say, "Well, you should just do what Apple does, look at what Apple does and copy them, not so much copy what they do but like the philosophy of the company Uh, and what companies do, there's sort of like a concrete part and an intangible part and the concrete part of what Apple does you can write little business books about and copy. Like the concrete parts are simplicity. Don't have like a million products. So vertical integration and control the whole stack. Uh, don't ship bad products. Kill bad products before they get out, the, get out the door. Like those are concrete things that any business can do. You sell doorknobs. You sell whatever you sell. There's some lessons to be learned from what Apple does that maybe that will help you succeed in your business. But the things that, that help you more of that are the intangibles. And you can't copy those. Oh, well, just do what Apple does. Make really good products. Make the right decisions about what features to include, what features not to include. And figure out what people want before they even know that they're going to want it themselves, you know? That stuff, you can say it, but you can't copy it. It's in the same way that you can say, oh, you know, write your own infrastructure software just like Google does and make it awesome.
0: Hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, how do I do that again? <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough to co- copy greatness. There's, and so whenever these, I see these things of like, you know, do what Apple does and you will succeed, half of that is true. And then half of it, it's like, you know, it's the, the, the great instruction on how to avoid sexual harassment in the workplace step one be handsome succeed like apple
0: <laughs> be handsome it's the truth mm-hmm.
1: all right i think that's all of my follow-up um i just i felt like on the, on the google thing we just spent too much time talking about data center not enough about that software secret weapon and, yeah uh, i think that's a big deal uh do you want to do sponsor we want to go on to the main topic
0: I would like to uh, I would like to do the sponsor, I think, because it's kind of relates. You're kind of talking about codes and algorithms, and that's kind of what our sponsor is. Um, so we've had we've had Mailchimp as a sponsor before, but this is something that they're doing that that's pretty cool. They they've launched a one million dollar integration fund for developers. A million bucks they're giving away. So this is how it works. They're accepting applications from anybody who's interested in building an integration on the Mailchimp platform. This can be an app that you've already built that you want to integrate with MailChimp. It could be a web app. It can be iOS. It could be Android. Whatever you want. All it has to do is, is integrate with the MailChimp platform. You go to mailchimp.com slash integration fund, and they will give you, I, I don't know if they give them, I don't think they give them a million bucks to one person. I think they spread it out a little bit. But you could get a lot of money. You could get quite a bit of money because they're giving away a million dollars. And all you do is go there, You enter. you fill in a few blanks, tell them about your app, and they, they give you some money. They don't want equity. The value to them is that you're using their platform. And that's it. And they'll pay you to do it. So go to MailChimp.com slash integration fund and uh, get, it. I don't know, part of a million bucks. Seems like that's what people should be doing. It's building apps these days. What,
1: what a world we live in that, that uh, the big thing that a company wants to sell you is, is no longer like buy our widget so much as build on our platform. Right. No matter who you are, no matter what your business is, use our API. That's yeah. kind of the buzzword thing. Of Like, do you have an API or whatever? But it really is true in, in the non-buzzword sense that people are realizing to, that big success comes from platforms. And it's, uh, it's an interesting change from when you just make a product and sell it from you. Yeah, know, two ago. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So now what's our main topic today? The mystery topic about to be unveiled. The mystery ingredient is... It's not a
1: mystery because you named... You requested it last week.
0: I've already forgotten what it was.
1: Yeah, you for, Well, I was going to ask you if you could explain what you think the topic is that you requested.
0: Tell me the name of it and then I'll explain it.
1: Oh, uh, it, it was the topic that you think is about like online criticism and stuff.
0: Okay, what's the title? I don't know. I don't have my... I don't have in the
1: topic to list. list? I don't think we had it in uh, the topic list. It... it like all the other topics, it's based on some article it's an that article I wrote. You so wrote the, yeah. the, the, the title of the article that I wrote was Hypercritical, which is what the show is named after. And right. I really thought we would do this topic as the very first episode to kind of explain, you know, what is it that we're going to do on this podcast or whatever. Well, but look, just, we, we just
0: crossed the, the, the 10 mark. So maybe this is proof that we, we, you know, we executed first, right? We delivered, we shipped it. Now yeah, we'll explain well, it.
1: Gonna shake the kinks out for the first ten episodes, but yeah, if you if you made it through ten episodes and can't figure out what the hell it is we're doing here, we'll try to explain.
0: <laughs> that, right?
1: Although I, I think people have the gist of it, but uh, so I'll just dive right in here. So this this article when I wrote it was another one of those things that was stewing in my head for a long time, and is oh, I want to give my disclaimer before I go into this. This. Probably qualifies as a non-tech topic. So if you're here to hear about technology stuff and how we like our iPads and technology business and industry stuff, now would be a time to you know perhaps listen to another podcast. But if you do like non-tech topics, that's what this show is going to be about. I think it's been you know five episodes since our last non-tech show. This one is mostly non-tech. So,
0: but it it very much relates to tech though. It's not it's not tech in the sense that we're not going to be talking about FireWire 800 connectors. Right. But it's very, very centered on technology.
1: It, it relates to online, but it's it's more touchy-feely than that. It's like it's it's edging into Merlin's zone,
0: you know? Oh, no, I don't think it is.
1: Not that far. We'll see how we go. Okay, so where was I? Now, uh, like I said, this is a topic that I wanted to write about for a long time, but I held off on because it was non-techy. Like, cause I don't want to write on Ars Technica so much about things that don't have to do with the computer industry because they're like, yeah, write it on your personal blog. It's not, it's not appropriate for Ars Technica. But in the end... I thought this was appropriate, and I had an Apple angle to it, so I just did it. Uh, and when I wrote the article, I tweeted the, the URL, and I said, uh, "I said, here's the article uh, wherein I likened myself to both Steve Jobs and Wolverine. And I said that hoping that it would be so ridiculous that A, it would be intriguing to people, and B, they would realize that that I thought it was ridiculous that I was comparing myself to Steve jobs and Wolverine a, because I'm not Steve jobs and B because Wolverine is a fictional character. He's a superhero or whatever. But apparently I was not ridiculous enough because many, many people took that seriously. And I had to deal with all the, you know, this guy thinks he's Wolverine and Steve jobs rolled into one, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of part of the topic of the, um, this, this whole thing about when you write anything online, what kind of feedback do you get? Uh, so I'm going to sort of take you through the article, which you haven't read because it's too long, I know, and you don't like all those words. Oh, and you do probably, have a
0: lot, it, and there's a lot. You have to click through every individual page. Oh, well,
1: if you were a Premier subscriber to Ars Technica, you would not have to click through your pages because everything would be all on one page.
0: I guess I've just shown my hand.
1: That's right. You're just, you don't value content enough to pay for <laughs> I forget what the Ars for Premiere is, but it's cheap. It's
0: like 50 bucks a year or something. Anyway. That's, the, no. that's very affordable. You guys do put it. But th- and then I don't have to click the next
1: yeah, well, the, the the bad thing about that, because I have that turned on, is when I go to like my Snow Leopard review, the page scrolls for like 10 years. You know, At <laughs> a certain point, having everything all on one page becomes unwieldy. You yeah. Know? All right. So uh, the article started with this kind of personal history, navel-gazing, touchy-feely thing that actually does go somewhere. So if you're reading it, I would encourage you to power through it. And I was talking about when I was a kid about how uh, I had, uh, you know, I was told that I had artistic talent and I was encouraged to explore my artistic talent and everything and how I later realized that that artistic talent wasn't so much the, that that wasn't, that was like a secondary effect of my ability to see what was wrong with my drawings. And even though I was very bad at making the drawings, I could find the parts that were wrong and correct them. So iteratively they would get a little bit better. Uh, And that was my discovery that the actual skill I had was the criticism part and not so much the artistic part, which explains why I don't really draw anything today. Uh, And so That was the lead in. And then I went into the meat of it, which is about criticism, you know, more generally, like across various industries. Um, The interesting thing I, I noted about criticism is that's a little bit different than you'll see online. And we'll get to the online part at the end is that in general, it's accepted that the critics can't do what they're criticizing. So, like, no one expects a movie critic to be able to make a better movie than, than the movie they're criticizing. No one, no one reads a bad review of, like, Transformers 2 and says, oh, yeah, well, where's your better movie? People understand that if you're a movie critic, <laughs> your, your job is to, you know, look at the movie and, and say what you think. You're right. not responsible for having to be able to make a better movie, and almost certainly you can't. And this, right. is, this is true in, in, uh, in, in, you know, almost any mature uh, media that has criticism in it. But the, the critic has a job, too. It's not to make the movie. It's to try to help people think in new ways about what makes a good movie. You know, Maybe they'll pick out a movie that you wouldn't otherwise think is good and talk to you about it and explain why they think it's good. And it will help you appreciate other movies that have that thing. And, and the, the, the other side is that the, the movie makers themselves are also the audience of the critics. So they read reviews. And even if it's not of their movie, they read a movie review, and it helps them think more about what makes a good movie. And so when they go to make their next movie, that critic has helped them perhaps think of something more interesting or new to do uh, in their next adventure. So it's kind of a, a cycle where everyone looks at these critics complaining about something that was made and, and the people who make the next round of movies use that to perhaps make their movies better in response to it. Uh, so that's kind of the, 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 the virtuous cycle there. Right. Um, and I'm creeping up on computers here. So the next example I use to try to get closer to the computer side of things and the online side of things are cars. It's another thing that I'm into. I've been reading car magazines since I was a kid. I still read them. And among the things that, that, that I'm interested in, the hobbies and stuff, I, I hold up car uh, automotive journalism and car criticism to be sort of the gold standard that tech journalism should apply to. Now, if people read like, uh, auto week or motor trend, maybe they think this is ridiculous. I, I like car and driver personally. There are some rags in, in the audio industry as in any uh, big industry. But the reason I like the car stuff so much is that cars are like computers and they have tons of tech specs. Cars have tons of things about them that you can measure. There's zero to 60 time, the braking distance, lap time, zero to 100 to zero, the weight, the size, you know, the the skid pad grip, tons and tons of stats. and And like computers car magazines obsessively measure those stats. Sometimes they have an entire page in each car you dedicate just to the stats. So you can look at all the numbers and they have the, the top you know, 50 cars for zero to 60 times and they have the, the you know highest mileage cars and the lowest mileage cars. Statistics up the wazoo, which looks a lot like computers, You know, megahertz, megabytes, hard drive sizes, screen size, size weight of laptops, everything. Stats everywhere. But, certain,
0: certain kind uh, of guys just like stats and it doesn't seem to matter whether it's cars or computers, but the stats thing kind of runs a... It's a common thread through all guy stuff, it seems.
1: Yeah, and, and especially anything that has to do with tech like cars or computers, in that there's tons of stuff to measure. Like, if if you are, are you know, uh, cigar aficionado, audio, there's not a lot of stats there, right? Or like you're into like Ming vases. You're, maybe the age no way, is. The I'll only stop statu-
0: you on the cigar thing. There are actually a lot of stats and a lot of information, uh-huh, but, yes, but not compared that. to baseball.
1: <laughs> I don't know enough about cigars to know what stats you're measuring, you know?
0: No, nothing the like in, you have in cars and baseball or sports,
1: it's like it's like a length and circumference and, and cromulence. Uh, you, you,
0: you definitely would have what they call the the ring gauge of the of the cigar, the length, which is categorized in a variety of different ways. There's the binder, the wrapper. Uh, the wrapper, by the way, is not the plastic thing that goes around the cigar. There's there's a whole <laughs> bunch of tasting notes, and that, there's again though. It, I'm but just, it's not so I'm, much stats as like measuring with, with lab
1: with lab equipment, you know. Yeah, stats stats dumbest. are a
0: whole different different thing, and they really, you know, what sports and cars, I think even place in 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 a category apart from computers. I think it, I think you find even more stats in those things than you would in computers.
1: Well, sports stats are a little bit different. I'm thinking mostly of things where there's like a product created by somebody and then there are people responsible and trying to, to say how successful they were. So you make a movie uh-huh. and I tell you how good is the movie and there's really not many stats except for running time in that. But There's <laughs> lots of art, right? Right. You make car and then these car magazines are dedicated to telling you how good it is. And as I was saying before, someone in the chat room throughout out there, road and track makes car and driver look like amateur hour. I got to say, I'm a car and driver guy. Not Not to disparage road and track too much, it's good. But uh, I'm a car and driver guy yeah, me and too always have been we'll get to the the reasons of that in, in a little bit I think uh, so the other thing that the car reviews do, besides having all these stats, especially in car and driver, is that and this is this is not just you know a recent thing for the entire history of car criticism, if you want to call it that, there's been this really healthy tradition of like insight into what makes a car good far, far beyond the stats and the best reviews of cars, note all the stats about it, but then say, why, why do we really love or hate this car? And it's subjective, and that's why people don't like it. You get these constant wars in the car magazines of saying, how could you rate this car to be better than this car, when look, at this one has faster 0.60 time, and this one has better fuel mileage, and blah, 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 and this thing beats it in every possible stat, and you said it's better? And that's, car magazines do not shy away from that. I don't, And Car Driver, in particular, tends to go with its gut, and you can disagree with its gut and say it's, you know, touchy-feely stuff and you shouldn't be ever rating this car better than a Corvette because a Corvette beats it in every possible performance measure and you're supposed to be car and driver how can you say this but th- that's what they do and, and they recognize that what makes a car good is not those numbers those numbers help or hurt but that's not the entirety of the car and I don't think that's really up for debate despite the people who get annoyed with their car quote-unquote if they're a Corvette I only and they write into clean about their Corvettes their car keeps losing in the comparisons uh that's another thing. Car driver does actual comparisons where they rank the cars first place, second place, third place, fourth place. They're willing to do that, but they do it based on criteria, half of which are completely subjective. Um, and especially in the 80s uh, and, and 90s for computers, that was just foreign. If you went to a computer magazine, they give you the big grid. They say, what are the megahertz? What are the speed? What's the price? And you know, and they rank them based on that. And it was not like, well, this computer is <laughs> you know, f- slower than the other one. It costs more money and has less space. But I really like you know, the feel of the keyboard and it just makes me happy to use it. So I'm rating it number one. That just never, never, never happened in the, in the computer industry. It was computer industry was just, you know, stats alone. And there was not any real debate about it. If you, if you, you pull something like that in a computer magazine, it would be open revolt from the readers. They would say, this magazine is crap. If I wanted to know how happy a computer made you feel, uh, I'm, that's not why I'm reading your magazine. Tell me the stats and, and rank them in that order or just don't rank them at all. Um, I think that hurt computers for a long time. The fact that, especially when we were kids and everything, it was just 100% about the stats because it was made by nerds and that's all we cared about. And these computers were, you know, ugly and unpleasant, but nobody really cared that much. Uh, And that's, it's hurt kind of tech industry criticism. Like there hasn't been until very, very recently, this culture of criticism in the sense of like art criticism, like movie critics. There was only statistical reporting, um, and that's the, the reason that comes up in, in my thoughts a lot is that even the very crappiest car brands, like the car brands that, by all objective measures, you know, they spent decades making very, very bad cars. Like brands don't even exist anymore, like Pontiac and Oldsmobile. Or, or And I can name a couple other ones, but I will probably already get mail from people about those. People are, have crazy loyalty to these car brands, completely outside the realm of like, you know, is this a good car? Is it reliable? Is it comfortable, or whatever? There's like Pontiac families where they only get Pontiacs, and Oldsmobile families where they only get Oldsmobiles, right? Ford and Chevy is even more crazy. And I'm picking these American brands because, in the car magazines, they were generally considered to be not as good as, you know, the import rivals and stuff like that. Uh, okay. And that, that was the opinion of, of the car magazines. But people loved them because they had attachments to cars that had nothing to do with. How reliable is it? How fast is it? You know, like There were attributes of the car that made them feel a certain way. They want an Oldsmobile because their dad had an Oldsmobile and they're an Oldsmobile family and they love it and it makes them feel good to have an Oldsmobile or because they know how to fix an Oldsmobile or they just like the way they look or they like the color they come in. They like the sound they make when they turn them on or they like the fact that the key is on the, on the, the floor in the sob, you know, in the middle console because it makes them feel like they're quirky and original. <laughs> they like turbo lag. Whatever it is that they like about the car... People don't really you know, people were doing that for, for decades and they didn't really feel a need to defend it. You know, if you like sobs, that's what you like, and you get yourself a sob. And it's not like, well, you know, for the same exact amount of money, you could have got this car, which would have been uh, had more room and had better mileage and you know, no one no one has discussions like that. But remember back in the nineties got a Mac to say, you know, for the price of that Mac I could have bought two four eighty six PCs oh, and they right. would have twice as fast and they would have had twice as much hard drive space and blah, blah, blah. Two discussions that, you know, one discussion never took place in the car world and always took place. It happens to this day, you know, even in articles online now, if you mention anything about Apple stuff, they'll tell you what you could have bought for the same money that has better specs. Um, So the exception to this, as noted on the thing, is Apple. The exception to these stats wars is Apple. Apple, it sort of of did a reverse there. There wasn't this culture of mature criticism of computers. It was immature. It was stats-based. Apple had to come, so they couldn't. Apple couldn't rely on that to lift them up. They had to come at it from the other way and say, "We're going to make computers that are acknowledged to be slower, more expensive, uh, you know, doesn't have much as much capacity, so on and so forth." And we're going to find a way to sell them and become successful with it. And it took them a long time of like they, you know, they'd make the iMac, and it's like, yeah, it's successful for Apple, but you know, come on, everyone still has a PC. Right. They just kept going and kept going, kept going. And then when they went into the consumer realm with the iPod and, and the iPhone and the iPad, they finally started to get into a realm where traditionally stats haven't mattered as much. And all of a sudden, like the playing field is getting a little bit more, uh, less slanted against Apple saying, okay, well, Apple's iPods, you know, might not have all the features, you know, as, you know, less space than an Nomad, no wireless, it's pretty lame, right? But they, you know, the consumers didn't care. And once they got their toe in that door, they just ran with it, right? So now we have Apple's products being compared more like cars. People buy the pink iPod Mini because it's pink and it's cute, and they don't really care what the heck the stats are. The same reason they, re- they buy a VW Bug or the new VW Bug or some a Volkswagen Cabriolet Convertible, which is a piece of crap car and costs way too much money because it's adorable and they love it. <laughs> you know, and it's happening. It's happening now. Like this is the post PC era. Consumer devices has always been like that. You buy a cell phone because it's because it's uh, nice looking or it's slim, or you buy a razor because it looks really cool and futuristic, and you feel like you're using a tricorder with it. <sighs> You know, stats were not a factor there, and computers are becoming like that. That's why you're seeing Apple, you know, zooming up the ranks in, in the PC realm, is that PCs are starting to enter that realm, too, where they're they're fast enough. And so you're not too worried about stats, but, man, those MacBook Airs sure look slick, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they're more expensive than a netbook, but I feel like I'm getting more. And the same reason that a Jaguar is more expensive than a Corvette and performs worse I feel like I'm getting more with the Jaguar because it looks awesome and the Jaguar brand has a cachet to it. And you know, whatever reasons you may like the Jaguar better than, than the Corvette, it have very little to do with stats. Um, and uh, the article was talking about how if there had been a healthier environment of mature criticism in the tech industry, this would have been an easier road to hoe, that PCs wouldn't have been mired in that ghetto for so long where it was just about stats. Because I think that really hurt the industry it was just nerds, just complaining about stats, and it took a first mover like Apple to break out with the iMac and go completely in the other direction. Arguably, they did it already with the Mac. of was saying, like, we're going to make a GUI. It's easier to use. You know, It's not a stat you can measure. Ease of use is not a number we can put on a box, but we're telling you, this is going to be better. Trust us. And some people did come along with the program, but it was a long, long road to hoe, and still Apple's Man. way behind in, in PC market share. But in the consumer electronics, uh, that's going the other direction fast. And the, the angle on the article was that Steve Jobs is, uh, made that happen, that he was Apple's sort of uber critic, where there was no external critics. There was no external source of the kind of criticism that produces these good products. So Steve Jobs had to be the internal critic who would tell people, I don't care you know, what the storage capacity is or what the megahertz rating is. I just want the product to be good in the ways that I care about that have very little to do with stats. And by him internal fa- internally facing being that kind of critic, it allowed the company to build these products to a different standard than the outside products, and and again, it took a long time for consumers to start to accept those. And going into the consumer realm really helped that. But from the very beginning, he was using his criteria, his much more mature criteria of what it is that makes a great product that goes way beyond the, the numbers. Um, and, and that was trying to give the the value uh, to explain the value of criticism in the computer industry. I think it wrapped it up with something telling people the value of criticism in their own lives and stuff. And that's of more dubious value. But I think we'll get into that now with the final bit, which is criticism online, which I didn't really talk about in the article. But I think is kind of the meat of what we want to talk about here because you've talked about it on your other shows as well. I think one of the very early uh, build and analyzes with Marco Mm – he mentioned that he does not want to blog about tech topics do you remember that conversation yeah
0: yeah just because the repercussions from it are that the feedback is is usually incredibly passionate in a, in a frequently negative way
1: yeah and so a lot a lot of people just blog about tech topics but marco's blog is kind of you know he, yeah, he covers goes, lots he of he goes around
0: faces. he goes different but it, here and when there.
1: he does blog about tech topics he's finding that he gets different types of feedback because once you start talking about Things that nerds like, I guess, are stats and numbers. You get a lot of unsolicited advice. Let's say, right? If you are just describing, this is how I did something. Hey, I had a problem in my house, and I, I wanted to hear music in this room, so I set up the server over here to do this, and I connected this cable to that thing, and I put this software on here, and that's how I let myself, you know, listen to songs in the shower without moving my iTunes from <laughs> my Mac Mini in the other room. Right? right. That's your blog post. You are just like I am sharing something that I uh, that I did. What you get in response to that is all the ways that you could have done that differently or better you shouldn't have used this piece of software if you use this you could do that better uh you know th- th- really uh, if you, did you pay money for that there's an open source equivalent that you should have used and you should be using Flack <laughs> files instead, or aug instead of AAC right. and blah, blah 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 right and that's the kind version the harsher, more harsh version is like i'm i'm running a service that you all use I like and let me tell you how i set up the instapaper servers you're all instapaper users and here's what i do for the instapaper servers for the backup process i think this is actually close to an example that he did like, uh, here's what I do for, for the backup process for the, for the Instapaper infrastructure. And then all these tech-savvy Instapaper users said, oh, my God, you can't do that for your backups. You have to do this and that and the other exactly. thing. And I don't feel my data is safe now and blah, blah, blah. And all sorts of, you know, again, unprompted. It wasn't like the, t- the blog post was like, hey, guys, tell me how you think I should do this. It was more like this is how I've done it and I'm sharing it with you. And then you get this torrent of feedback. Um, so that's, that was Marco's problem with, with, with feedback, at least the one that he talked about there. The other one was uh, Gruber. I don't know if he's ever talked about all this on your podcast, but I know he talked about it on the Macworld podcast years ago. I put the link in, in the show notes. It's actually a link to a blog post that links to the, the podcast. And have you ever talked about the lack of comments on Daring Fireball with him?
0: No, that's on my list, but I, I've talked to him about it personally, but I don't think we've really done it on the show as a topic.
1: Yeah, he's he's covered it in lots of other places. Like it's been discussed to death, I feel like. Uh, but it is kind of a, a long, I think he blogged about it tangentially a few times and he did that podcast about it. This was what, 2006 or something, I don't know, a long time ago, where they just said point blank, why don't you have comments? And he explained it in a straightforward manner to why he doesn't have comments. And I'll try to summarize what he said. People should listen to the actual podcast to hear, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But what he was basically saying is that he's not interested in that type of feedback and he wants to present some of a kind of a clean interface to the people who are Coming to read uh, daring fireball, the, the, the key phrase I remember is that he says when people come to daring Fireball, I want them to read every single word on the site and that's, and, and I want to write every single one of those words, so it 's not you know what some doof said, you read some really insightful article and the first comment is first post or some you know racist slur or a Viagra ad or some other you know, <laughs> yeah. it kind of re- you know takes away from the experience, so this is coming from a different angle, not so much i don 't want to hear what people have to say because it gets tons of feedback email i'm sure but I don't want other people's words on my site because this is my site and the experience I want to present is just my words and the amount that I want them. And, you know, you have your own site for putting your own stuff on.
0: You know, it, it shows. I think it shows. There's so many people who say that without, without providing users a channel to interact with you that you'll never be successful. And yet uh, I would say he has been by any measure.
1: Well, the thing is, there are so many channels to interact with him. It's not as if he's, like, the internet is still there. Yeah. You can email him. You can do your own blog post. You know, he, he's got his vanity Google search going like crazy. So if you link to him, he'll find you and read what you have to say. It's not as if he's, like, in a cocoon, like, I don't want to hear what anybody's saying. But he right. just doesn't want that. He just words on doesn't want it site. on.
0: on it, that, those are his words. Right. That's it.
1: So now these two, these two stances on comments, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my take on it in light of that whole thing we just talked about with criticism. And and what I'm going to say is true for me, just as it's just as what Gruber and Marco said is true for them. So it's not an endorsement of one particular philosophy or or the other. Uh, It's really just, you know, another viewpoint into the stew here. Uh, Now, my articles at ours do have comments. Every article at at ours has comments.
0: Would you change that? Would you you, you like that?
1: I love comments. Now, ours kind of has the best of both worlds in that. When you look at an article at ours, you don't see a single comment. So that gets rid of the stupid thing where someone gets to the end of your wonderful, insightful article, and then the next sentence they read is something horrible and offensive or mm-hmm. stupid and obnoxious. You don't even see those because it's you have to click to see the comments. So it has the advantage of a site that's not you know crapped up with other people's inane words. But I do like to see the comments on what I write. And I, I love the comments. I love everything about the comments. I love the good comments. I love the bad comments. I love everything. Because in light of this whole criticism thing, when I see comments on anything that I write, I want to see people criticizing it or trying to criticize it or saying what they didn't like about it. And individually, those comments may be, you know, this guy didn't understand what I was saying. This guy is, has some other axe to grind or this is totally wrong or whatever in aggregate, combined together. If you if you write a big thing and 50 of the 400 people who comment all have some particular complaint, whether you disagree with that or not, I feel like that's time to figure out what it is that they're on about. Like my my view is that in aggregate there's some kernel of truth underlying every negative thing said about you online. And it doesn't mean what they say is true. It may mean it may be like a third order effect where they're mad about x and then made them mad about Y, and then they said Z. And Z, you know, you can say, well, the Z is totally not true. Well, so why are they saying that? Why are, why are some large percentage of people complaining about this? What, what is possibly true about it? And a milder version is that if someone says, this thing was too long, or uh, I was bored, or uh, you talked about topic X for too long. One or two guys are always going to say that, right? Yeah. But if half your audience says you talked about X for too long, it's time to think about that. Is, is it time to say, maybe I didn't think about X too long? No, maybe you just talked about it and didn't make it interesting enough. Or maybe you didn't good, do a good job of explaining why it was relevant, Or, you know, there's 50 other reasons to, to, to think about what, what the problem might be. But, you know, I, there's tremendous value in that feedback. Now, that feedback can come by email too, but I found that the comment feedback tends to be like more, more evil, yeah, more evil than email feedback. People email you generally tend to be poli- more polite than comment stuff because there's no audience. That was the uh I should link to this the It's
0: a good uh, point. A really good point.
1: Gabriel some something, something Gabriel, uh law of internet dickwads, help me out. Uh no, I've, yeah,
0: from, I it's, heard it's, that a, it's a penny,
1: it's a penny arcade strip, and basically it's a blackboard with an equation that says anonymity plus audience equals jerk, although I think it uses a more harsh word. Um uh, and it's the fact that everyone can read yeah. K.J.
0: Healy says, Internet Dickwad Theory.
1: Yeah, it has a longer name, too. Someone from the chat room will get it eventually. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but the fact that comments are out there for everybody to read and have an audience, that makes people misbehave because they're not not—they're not just communicating with you. Comments are communicating with you, and they know that everyone else is going to read the comments, too. So they have an audience for stuff. So it's very different from email where they think they have the only expectation is that you are, you're the person who's going to read this. They're writing for you, but they're also writing for their audience to try to pump themselves up in the eyes of their audience to try to make themselves feel better about themselves or putting down some popular writer in, in a, in a comment type of, you know, atmosphere. Uh, speaking about that, someone put in the, uh, in the chat room and I already have in the show notes, the daring fireball with comments, Safari extension. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I actually run that sometimes. I'm sure Gruber hates that, but because I want to see what people, what people have to say. Now it's obviously a self-selected audience of people with an ax to grind against Gruber or whatever, but, Every once in a while, I fire it up and I peek at what people are commenting on uh, the articles. Most of them are bad because, again, it's self-selected for people who are inclined not to like stuff. But every once in a while, there's there's a little you know funny nugget in there or a insightful nugget buried in in all the the dreck. But it just goes to show how desperate people are to have an audience in a place on on a, on a popular site. Yeah. Uh, and and so another thing about comments aside from emails that it's less of a barrier than than. Sending an email is certainly less of a barrier than doing your own response blog post. And again, that's good and bad. It's good that there's a barrier because it keeps out the people who just have one stupid comment to say. uh, They're not going to do a whole blog post about their one stupid uh, snarky thing. And they're probably not even going to email you their snarky thing. But if there's a comment box at the bottom of the article, they'll put it there. But there's also advantages to that low barrier. And and one of the advantages is that you get things like typos or factual errors reported really fast. Because people who note a factual error when they're reading – Like, you have that finger laziness where you're like, oh, do I really want to start a new email, find this guy's email address and send an email and type it in and put a subject line, you know, it seems like more work. But if I can just scroll to the bottom of this box, type in my name or if I'm already logged into the site with some other thing and hit a button on the same page that I'm already reading, I can say, hey, you left that letter E on this thing or hey, you missed a semicolon there or actually, you know, this thing came out in this year and not in that year. And in the magic of online publishing, it's great. To have that feedback as fast as possible and with the biggest volume as possible, the comments are kind of like the chat room of the, uh, the you know the five by five chat room of the uh, the world of static writing instead of podcasting. You get this audience of people collaborating to help you improve your article in the first five minutes that it's up. Right. So the, the comments start streaming in, the errors and the typos go in there. You fix them, you refresh the article, and then you respond to them in the comments and say that you fix them. And by the time the, the you know the two thousandth person comes along. A lot of the obvious errors are gone, uh, and that's definitely something I appreciate from, uh, uh, from comments where there's a low barrier to entry, uh, to writing them up. And the, the final thing I have on this is something that came up a few times in email and in the chat room about the music that precedes this show. Uh, we had yeah, we was get a lot of
0: feedback to, about that, surprisingly.
1: Yeah, because we've talked about it on the show a few times, so people have an opinion one way or the other. What was the old song? I forget what the name of it was.
0: Rondeau uh, by uh, Moray. I think these are both uh, words that are not English, so I cannot pronounce them correctly. So I I, All right. I just do it once. But that's well, People
1: People called the old one the Masterpiece Theater. Yes,
0: it was reminiscent yeah, of that, yeah.
1: And the new one is some, what is it, a Mozart thing? I don't yeah. remember.
0: Yeah, that's what yeah. you wanted. It, is, it and, is now what you wanted it to be.
1: Yeah, and so originally when you were looking at classical music themes, you you threw one out to me and you said, uh, what do you think of this one for classical music? And I did my typical hem and hawing about how I didn't want any music at all, but if we had to pick one, that one is fine. But then when the the show came out, you had put a different song in front of it, either because you forgot what I suggested or because you just picked a different one. Yeah, I just picked a different one. I I complained about it, and then you you brought back the one that I originally had picked uh, on the more recent shows. So we got some email, some people saying, hey, I like the new song, it's great. Other people saying, oh, I miss the old song. So what do I do with this feedback? Like, it's not comments of those people, you know, emailing or whatever, but what do I do with this criticism? I've got criticism 50-50 on both sides, and I've got my own opinion that I just like the new one better. But hearing enough people say that they like the old one better makes me think, well, why? Why do they like the old one better? They like the old one better just because it's the first one they associated with the show, and now they, you know, just fear of change. Anytime you change anything, like you change the interface on a computer, people flip out because they're used to the old way or whatever. Uh, Could that be it? Uh, you know th- there 's probably some truth to that, but doesn 't give me much actionable stuff to go on, so I was thinking that maybe th- the people like the old song, some people actually cited this, and other people didn 't because because of the masterpiece theater angle because it sounded so ridiculously pompous and you know silly that we 're going to have the show where we 're going to complain about stuff as if mm-hmm. we 're you know high and mighty, and we get to complain about everything right and the the music the music added humor value, and when I thought about it, I thought. I kind of had that feeling about the old song too. Initially, I it, it repelled me because, like, oh, geez, I don't want people to think that it's like masterpiece theater. Now we will discuss what is
0: wrong with everything
1: because <laughs> that's we why are. right. That's Christina. why I picked
0: that song because.
1: Yeah, 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 but but again, with the Wolverine and Steve Jobs thing, it's tough to say whether you know. Oh, it's it's you know it's ridiculous, and I know it's ridiculous, but people can very quickly say well, this is what they seriously think. They're just you know full of themselves, so there's that danger in there, but. I find that I like, it, it wore on me in terms of, like, I like the humor angle of it. Eventually, when it became clear that people were willing to understand that it was ridiculous to, to even be thinking that, and this was sort of a parody type thing, that it did have that desirable characteristic, and it added something to the show. So thinking about these people's criticism, instead of just saying, well, I like what I like, and it seems 50-50 either way, therefore I just go with my opinion. It, you know, accepting criticism not at face value, but as, as a valid form of feedback that triggers you to think about something gave me a better appreciation for the old song. I still like the new one better. I still said we stick with the new one, but I was even open to saying, like, when I responded to that guy on Twitter, maybe leave it up to Dan. Maybe he does 50-50. Maybe he, maybe he rotates it. Maybe you n- never know what theme it's going to be. Not because, again, not because I like the old one better than the new one. I like the new one better. But in this type of environment, if people like the old one sometimes too, maybe it would be good to mix it up or something.
0: I, don't know, I feel uh, we. I feel like I don't. I, I want to just pick something and run with it. And yeah, we,
1: you, you want to have you want to have solid type branding and continuity, but then you wouldn't have changed it at all after ten episodes. I changed
0: I it because you were you were so compl- you were so uh, upset about it.
1: Well, you know it's. I want to you know things, I want
0: to keep want to keep you happy.
1: I know I, either what I'm saying now is that either one is fine with me. I still like the new one better uh, because I think there's less of a chance of it being confused for uh, being sort of attitudinal, which definitely is not. Uh but some people like the old one too. Uh I don't want reams of feedback of people voting for which song they want. This is not a democracy. You don't get to pick which song it is. Uh we'll just work with what we have. And if we wanna wanna stick with the new one, we'll stick with the new one. If you want to change it back to the old one for an episode or two, we'll change it back to the old one. You'll never yeah.
0: know. Yeah, it'll be a surprise. Yeah,
1: you know, I I feel like I you I have even more to say about this thing because there's so much to talk about with uh with criticism and the whole uh hypercritical article, but I would encourage people to go power their way through it. It's not that long. It's maybe two, three screenfuls of stuff. It's got some meandering in there, but, uh, I think there's some, uh, some value buried in that flabby thing that I wrote. And I would love to actually discuss this with other people who have different opinions about criticism. Um, because again, I gave, I gave my view on criticism, but really it, what it comes down to for, for an individual is, if having comments on your site makes you feel bad, don't put comments on your site, right? If not having comments on your site makes you feel bad, put them there. Like, well, there's one. There's
0: one issue you didn't address about comments. Is, it, that. is and this is the situation that I ran into on HiveLogic because for many years I had no comments. Then I brought. Then I added them, and when I added them, they they were they were quite popular. I mean, some posts would get hundreds of comments. That was not unusual, and. Most of the posts that I was writing after a while a lot of the time i 'd write about technical things and and I might do a tutorial on you know how to install mysql on you know mac os tiger for example and this is this is back before Homebrew and other things that made it much easier to to do that kind of thing uh, but I, I would I would write these tutorials and Anytime you write a tutorial, it's not going to work for everybody. Even though you test it and you try it on multiple machines and you make sure it works and you show it to, to people and have them try it and everybody says it works, there's always going to be somebody who either they mistyped something, they made a, a mistake, they didn't follow every step, or there's a there's an install something else installed on their own system that's going to create a problem or an inconsistency or they've they've already monkeyed around with things now. for whatever reason something doesn't work and maybe and and legitimately in some cases the instructions have had a few issues here and there too. So, you know, people would find those they're going to post those to the comments. Well, if I don't and and this is true for the non technical ones too, of course. But it's even it's even more of an issue for the technical ones because people treat this like, oh well, the, this is the Bible. this Google said this was the number one result for installing it, so I, this has to be right. And 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 when it wouldn't be right, they would uh, they would put a comment in and say, actually, I tr- I ran this on this system and this is the message I got. Please help. Well, then I'm a jerk if I don't sit there and reload my comments every single hour of every day and reply to every single person who has a problem and solve it for them. Now, this is a specific, unique kind of case, right? But there are a lot of situations where if you write a piece that is somewhat controversial, and I saw this a lot of the time with the comments on uh, on A List Apart when I wrote that uh, CMS, uh, we would see that a lot, that people would, you know, an author would go and write this piece they they're not even thinking that it's controversial or even you know they they're hoping it's interesting enough for people to read it it turns out they they proposed something that's controversial It's some css thing that oh my gosh i can't believe you would have proposed this and then they'll get hundreds of comments from people basically calling them out or, or insulting them or or whatever whatever you see in comments and meanwhile the author didn't even know it they just submitted this piece to a list apart and they got told it was going to be published and they're off you know giving some talk in belgium so it's you know th- then they look like a jerk because they're not responding they're ignoring people and comments are very much a responsibility I think of the site if not the author too to get in there and and respond and that's the reason why I just don't like comments anymore because to be honest and I've I've gone back and forth on on the five by five site saying yeah I should I should do comments I should put comments there but that's something I want to hear from you about what is is there an obligation as the author as the creator as the owner of a website or a curator to well, so the, jump in and do that
1: because two two parts of this one is the, the the more cut and dried part which you didn't mention too much which is spam yeah you know, spam no, done by robots worst. or even by people worst. spam is a factor on comments uh, terrible and it's kind of like it's a factor where personal opinion doesn't go into it much i don't think anybody want, likes to read spam comments uh and no one likes to receive them so they're just they're a fact of life like the weather when you sign up for comments, you are also signing up for the responsibility of dealing with spam. As I would say, you can't have comments unless you are willing to take that responsibility. So this has nothing to do with personal feelings or anything like that. It's just like, you just got to deal with it. So right. right off the bat, that's enough to kill comments on in lots of situations. But you can say, I love to have comments. I love everything about comments, but I simply do not have the time to deal with the spam. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's... That's cut and dry, so we don't need to talk about that too much. Except for the fact that, like, like when you asked about comments for the site, I, I, I said to you, no, don't do comments because do you really have time to deal with all that spam? Yeah. It seems like you're, you know, you, you just got too much other stuff to do. It's not along the critical path for now. Maybe someday later, where you can have someone deal with the comments, then, then that will not be a factor anymore, and we can talk about other factors. All right. So other factors. I'm gonna try to tie this into what you were saying about your MySQL post, but when I talked earlier about doing what feels good for you. Someone said that it was a cop-out that, you know, don't be wishy-washy, give give strong assertive advice about what you should do. Is criticism good or bad? Should you have comments, yes or no? Uh, and again, I think they were just being silly. But there's there's something to that in that when you were saying about the MySQL thing where you, you post that type of article that, that goes out of date, uh, you don't have, I guess you didn't have the comments closed on it, but that's another that's another hedge against this. if you have the comments cut off after a certain point when the article gets to a certain age. Yeah. Yeah, The door closes, but yeah. ignoring, ignoring that for now. And then someone comes and comments and says they have a problem. And what you said is that you said is, you know, and then I'm the jerk for not helping them. I look like a jerk to other people who might read this to say, hey, this guy put these instructions. And then people had all these problems. And like the, the bottom 50% of the comments is people complaining about problems. And now they think you, as the owner of the page, are a jerk because you didn't help these people. Yes. Well, so that, that right there is when it changes from let's discuss the value of comments or whatever to how do you feel about it because if you feel like a jerk nothing anyone's going to say is going to make you not feel like a jerk you feel like a jerk because you feel like you have a responsibility to, to those people to help them and you don't want to feel like a jerk so you're not going to do that and there's nothing you can say about well really you should know the comments are just wonderful because they help you learn about what you're doing wrong and blah 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 it doesn't matter if you feel like a jerk that means you've decided your value system is that i have a responsibility to the readers of my site to help this or even if your value system is simply I don't want other people to think I'm a jerk because when they read this, it looks like I'm a jerk. That That's that's a value judgment on how you feel about something. There's nothing inherently jerky, I would say objectively, about having a blog post that three years later uh, has, has a bunch of people who are having problems with it because it's old. Because like if you have a date header anywhere on that post, anyone with a brain can look at it and say, well, this thing was written in 2004. So yeah, you're having problems, you know, like – there's nothing, I, I w- there's nothing in there that says, you know, you are doing something that's bad to people, right? But if you feel like you're doing something bad to people, it means you, ha- you feel like you have a responsibility to, you know, to help people or to help everyone who comes to your site or to at least – or maybe you just feel like you have a responsibility to not look like you're, you know, you're a jerk in your own eyes on the site. Yeah. That's a personal, the personal decision and it's a value judgment that has nothing to do with the inherent – Quality of the comments or the nature of comments has everything to do with how you feel as a person about that. Now, I'll give an example for me. For me, if I was in that situation, I would not feel like a jerk because I would say, look, anybody who comes to this thing and thinks I'm a jerk because a bunch of people in you know, a post from uh, 2004 uh, are having problems now in 2011 because the instructions don't work for them on their Snow Leopard system. Anyone who thinks I'm a jerk because they can't read the date header there, I'm willing to be a jerk in their eyes. So I'm willing to say, if, if you can't figure out that systems change over time, and, and, the, and these instructions don't work, you can't, by to read the date header, you can't figure out that this is old, then I'm okay with you thinking I'm a jerk because it doesn't bother me in the slightest because I feel like it's not my responsibility to keep everything I ever wrote up to date forever. If I write instructions and I put this is for this version of the software and here's a date header whenever, whatever, and you can't deal with that, I don't, I don't feel a uh, problem with that at all. Same deal with email. Like, some people feel bad when they don't respond to every piece of email, and it's like this great personal struggle to get to the point where they can not respond to all of their emails. I've never felt that. I've never felt that. I've never felt any compunction to not responding to IMs, not responding to emails, anything like that. And it's not because I get so many of them because I'm so popular and I just can't deal with the day load. It's just simply that I've I've never had a problem not responding to stuff like that because everyone has their own priorities uh, in terms of how these things make you feel, and that's what you have to make the decisions on because you're not here to like. Conformed everyone else's opinion of what's right or wrong about things, you're here to have, you know, a good time doing whatever it is you're doing, especially for me where it's mostly recreational for this online writing thing and stuff like that. I'm, you know, I have my set of what I feel responsible for and, you know, putting out good content and being correct on the facts and stuff like that. But I don't feel that responsibility in terms of communication. Because if I did, I would, you know, again, I don't get that much stuff, but if I responded to every single email I got, it would just take up so much of my day and I would just come to dread it and hate it. Not that it's such a huge volume, but a two-paragraph email, like, if I respond to it, like, really respond to it, I respond to it for three pages. And every time I do something like that, I'm like, look, I'm responding to one person. I'm spending all this time to put a big, giant response into one person's email, and no one is getting benefit of this except for this one guy. Would, would this guy's question be better for me to address in a public forum where whatever it is I have to say about it can be read by the seven other people who are going to email me on exactly the same topic? You know what I mean? It's the same reason that I, like, most of the five-by-five five feedback I do respond to with a one-or-two liner especially if it's just something simple about, hey, did you know about this or what about that? that? Those are easy to do. But mostly what I'll take from those is the ones I don't respond to is that I'll throw that into the feedback and I'll say someone wanted to know about this and we'll talk about it on the show where everybody can hear about it. Um, I'm, I'm drifting off a little bit here, but what, what I wanted to get to is that the whole the whole angle on the comments thing was the, the nugget of truth buried in all this. is Whenever you came to the conclusion, this happens, this happens, therefore I'm the jerk. I feel like a jerk. I feel a responsibility. It has everything to do with what you feel about that and that's why I think giving some sort of hard and fast advice of you should always have comments and you should never have comments it's pointless because like what are we all doing here we're not we're not here to try to satisfy everyone else's opinion of what we should be doing we're trying to do what we want to do so decide what you want to do decide what you're comfortable with and and do it um the whole big thing I said about why I value comments and stuff you know people's opinions change so maybe perhaps someone who was on the fence about comments would maybe think, well, you know, that guy was talking about criticism and stuff and how he gets value out of the comments. And maybe I'll give it a try because he's pushed me over the edge. I was on the fence about it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try this out. Maybe I'll see if I can get a little bit more value from these comments than I did before. Maybe it will help me to be less offended or less bothered by situations, because now I know there's someone else out there who isn't bothered by that, you know, and it takes a long time. Like if you haven't been on, online for a long time, I remember when I first started on the Internet, you know, typical Internet noob, just arguing with everybody getting offended about everything personally identifying with the mac platform and doing all these mac windows pc wars you know what i mean but after a decade or two of it you tend to develop more of a a thick skin but some people never develop it especially on certain topics like marco has not developed a, a thick skin about dealing with what other people have to say about his tech setups otherwise he would just do tech blog posts and not really care what the heck anyone else says uh maybe he'll never get to that point but getting to that point is not like a it's not like a finish line. It's not like you get a prize for it. You feel the way you feel about it. It's not hurting him in terms of you know his his life choices that he he's you know he gets annoyed by technical feedback and stuff. Some people just find things more annoying than other people. I, the reason I don't find it annoying is because I ignore it. It's the same reason that you know Gruber probably doesn't find a lot of his harsh feedback as annoying as other people might think because he's decided that this feedback is uh, you know. That he disagrees with it and it's just that we just have to agree to disagree and it doesn't weigh on him that like a certain group of people really feel he should have comments he's decided what he wants on his site and he's not put upon by all these people saying you should really have comments you know so that's why I think this really is a personal issue and it's more of a again more of a Merlin topic than a than perhaps a uh, tech topic or an Apple topic especially when it comes to, to feedback online
0: I don't think it's uh, too far off from your usual stuff but it really comes down to making it sound like maybe you don't, yeah, maybe you don't care.
1: Well, that's that's part of it. The thick skin thing is at a certain point, especially as you get older, you just stop caring about certain things that might have bothered you a lot previously. And I'm not, not even going to say whether that's good or bad, but it just is what it is, uh, and it changes the decisions you might make about uh, about feedback. For for companies, it's a little bit different because your main issue was is not how do I feel about this, but like, does this help the company? Does this hurt the company? And, you know, all that becomes a lot more of a dispassionate business decision about weighing the, the benefits uh, in terms of networking and, and uh, you know, social interfacing and viral marketing, all that stuff versus the cost of hiring the guy to deal with the spam and hiring the moderator and stuff like that. But mostly I'm talking about on an individual basis, individual blogs. right. right individual you know articles and an individual author responding to comments Uh, i also think actually on the comments one more thing on that i really love to be able to interact with the people who read what i write and i find that even like old school newspaper guys love that stuff and that like their entire life you know they they spent 40 years in the newspaper business and, and they always run the newspaper and then they write it online for the first time and they see that first five or six comments appear underneath their thing and they just it's like crack, they just cannot get out of it. Because for their entire career they'd been giving the copy to the copy boy or whatever the heck, I know nothing about the music newspaper industry. Whatever. And it goes off to the presses and then it comes out, and maybe they can see people reading it on the subway and like peer over the shoulder or like see if they're smiling or frowning when they're reading my op-ed or my movie review or whatever. But it is nothing. Like write it, post it, stare at the screen for five minutes, hit reload and see twenty people give feedback. And that loop, especially to like people who have never been exposed to it like the internet versions the internet instant feedback versions like those newspaper guys it is crazy like roger ebert is a good example of that he was not online but he got hooked big time with oh, the yeah. whole instant feedback and stuff like that that's an obvious benefit of comments that if you like that sort of thing it's it's like nothing else and i do like having that feedback and engaging with the readers not engaging to like try to correct them or, or you know argue with them about things although sometimes that's fun to do too uh but some people enjoy that kind of engagement. Some people do not like that kind of engagement. And some people feel the responsibility to do that kind of engagement even though they don't enjoy it. So like, well, you know, if someone asks me a question in the comment, I feel like I'm a jerk if I don't respond to them. If that's the way you feel and you also don't want to respond to them, don't have comments, yeah. right? So I think that's the, the calculus on uh, on that stuff. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear you talk to Merlin about this. He He, he touches on it sometimes in some of his things about uh, not letting other people's uh, concept of what they expect of you define what you want to do and all that stuff. But I would just love to hear him go to town on exactly have him do the exactly same show as mine, but it'll be totally different. Online oh, yeah. criticism and comments, stuff like that. I'd love to hear what he has to say.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a good topic.
1: Although, of course you can't really dictate topics to him. Can you
0: no, not really?
1: I mean, the, Royal you like cumulatively.
0: Yeah, he comes up with them.
1: Nobody puts Marlon in a corner. <laughs>
0: That's a great, great movie reference. I wonder who will get that. Don't email us.
1: That will not be the title of this episode. By no. the way,
0: no, <laughs> no. We I, already, a, I already
1: have a title for this episode. What I'll is it? You, I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. But I already picked it. I'm, we're, we're so ahead this week. You picked the topic last week. I picked the title but as soon as you picked the topic. Nice. We're ahead of the game here.
0: We do have a few potential titles, Josh. Uh, yeah, I'm can sorry, tell Josh. Me I'm what, ignoring what all
1: your titles. I've got one picked.
0: Josh tell me uh tell me what they are and we'll throw them out there. But yeah, I think uh, I think this is um this is such an interesting it is, you know, it is I guess it is a non-technical topic because it it doesn't have to do with firewire connectors, but it, it very much is I think the kind of thing that people think about. I mean, it you can almost compare it. You can think about the way that Apple does it. They 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 really don't engage with people the way that other companies say you need to.
1: And that pisses people off, yeah. right? Because people, that's exactly the same situation. People think they should engage. I'm one of those people who think they should engage, but Apple is not a person. So it's kind of like when, when I say I think they should engage, I have reasons to have to do with, it would be better for the company if you engaged because then I list a bunch of business reasons. It's not the same as an individual, but it's the same sentiment is that everyone has their expectations of what other people should do in response to their feedback. And if they deviate from those, you know, they think, you know, oh, Apple's a jerk because they don't do, uh, you know, they don't listen to our feedback or they just put up that Chinese wall or whatever. I don't think that's productive, especially since Apple is not a person to engage in that. But since Apple is not a person, I don't think Apple can use the thing of like, well, we get upset when we engage or it bothers They're not a person. I bet there's people inside Apple who would love to have a more open dialogue. And I bet there's people at Apple who wish they could keep even more stuff secret. So as a corporation, you have to talk about does this help or hurt the company and in what ways? And Apple makes its internal calculus and decides this is the kind of public face we want to put on right, and I bet they would have pretty strong arguments to back why why they think this is a good idea yeah. you know, look how successful we've been with this strategy, look at the bad things we avoid, look at the good things that we get by you know having the Chinese wall, and then you'd come back with like, well, look at the app store thing and the NDA and the ill will that you got for just not talking about stuff, and you can go back and forth on it, but since Apple is not a person, it's a much It's a much less touchy-feely discussion and much more of a uh, how-does-this-help-or-hurt-your-business discussion.
0: Follow-up knows no bounds. Source of truth. Being handsome. Criticisms virtuous cycle. Uber critic or uber critical. Those are all good titles. They're just not the one I already have picked. All right put them out there alright so uh, so that's it then that's it for this episode we'll be that's back next week live eastern time
1: do you want to try to pull another one like PM. you did last time and pick the topic ahead of time
0: yeah but first let me go tell them when, they, when we're going to be back next Friday 2pm eastern you can join us live here at uh, 5by5.tv live live you can be in the chat room you can listen live We want to say thanks to Mailchimp.com. Go to Mailchimp.com slash integration fund and get part of your million dollars for your app. Now, what are are the potentials? What are the choices? I don't have my list.
1: Pull up the topic page. Oh, Oh, my goodness.
0: Not prepared to look at the topic page.
1: You're not prepared. I have it up.
0: No, I'm too too focused on the conversation. There you go. All right. Is that you? That's you. There it is. Go in there now.
1: I added a whole bunch at the bottom there.
0: Oh my god, at the bottom, look at this. Well, just we've gotta, t- we've gotta do.
1: Don't read them all off. You just I'm not pick. gonna
0: read any of them off. Just Thank looking, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that too. And right, look at this, this. this. You even have like archived of previous shows. My, that one you have on the top, I'm r- never gonna pick that one.
1: You're never, I'm gonna, I'm gonna force pick that one eventually because I knew you would never pick it, but I want to talk about it. Pick it.
0: I saw I saw Jurassic Park. I don't need to talk about it. Oh
1: uh, no, we're gonna talk about that one. We are going to I will eventually force that one now that I know you're never gonna pick it. I think people want to hear about it because nah, even though you seen, don't want to hear about it, people want to hear about they it. They can it see one that, one scene that in Jurassic, Jurassic
0: Park and that's it. We don't need to talk about It's gonna we're gonna talk silly about topic. it. topic.
1: are you never gonna pick number two too? Mm. Have you ever have you even
0: read mm. that thing that I linked to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read that.
1: Yeah, well you didn't read all of it because it's too long, but it
0: was pretty long, a lot of words.
1: That's a that's a heavy tech topic, and I do want to talk
0: about that, that. one. That one I will pick. Um, I, I really expect- like number three. I really like number three.
1: Yeah, no, you keep picking that one, but I have
0: <laughs> and I like v- number I four. Have vague
1: wishy-washy things to say about and that. I one.
0: like number four. And I, I whoa, number five is new. Yeah, no, that's
1: right. I, I thought of that one because I added the bottom two, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to add that one too.
0: <laughs> I, I think right now, Both second, of are- from the, are- second from the second from the either the bottom two are my are my top picks.
1: Yeah, I think all of those, maybe I can combine them into one show. Because oh, let's do well, that.
0: Let's our, do that.
1: Our unfocused ideas, uh, and I think I just have a little bit, like one or two little points to say about each of them, uh, and maybe we'll save the uh, the third from bottom for last.
0: Can we say what they are or no? Well, we,
1: we can just say that next week, if Dan wants to pick these, we're going to say, uh, we're going to uh, do I what's pick wrong pick with them. insert well-known company here, and we'll do three companies. Yeah,
0: what's wrong with insert company name? And the two of them are, n- none of them are Apple.
1: Yeah, we already we do app all the time.
0: But they are they are I'm sure you I'm sure people will guess the two big ones. Yeah, we but do. But there's we, a third one in there that, that will make nobody people, will guess. People will cry if they if because they no, hear. but nobody
1: has that. Have you ever heard anyone have that discussion? No. Never, right? Never. And and I and I was thinking about it like, you know what, I have plenty to say about it, but you never hear anyone
0: talk never. about it. Never. And I'm I'm ready to defend it. I will stand up and defend the third and company.
1: No, you can't you can't defend it because
0: Oh, I'll defend it.
1: It's not like I'm going to say for any of these companies. This company is the devil, you know. Yeah, but <laughs> it's outside... always going to be this company is great. But just look like at Apple here. You know, Apple is great, but maybe this they're not third so good
0: company or... has just all they want to do is make people happy.
1: All right, just don't give it away. We'll do. I'm it. I'm not giving it away. I'll put them in the. Uh, I'll set them up for next
0: week. Company can do no wrong. But don't email us what you think it is, please we get so many emails you've practically given it away already i have
1: not super smart people in the chat room have already figured it out no they haven't i've haven't, I haven't looked in the chat room to see if they actually have but i'm assuming they have if anyone is still listening they
0: figured it. they out. are throwing out names and i won't even give them yeah,
1: i have not even looking at the names so i don't know if it's actually been
0: i won't i won't spoil it uh, but uh i'll tell you later You'll look at it and then the people are all way off all right, so listen, that's it for this show. Thanks to, to MailChimp. Thanks to you guys for tuning in. We need you to rate the show. That's what we also need. We, it, it, it's really helpful when you do that. Rate
1: and review because the reviews are my comments, man. No comments <laughs> on the site for, for well-founded reasons. Dan doesn't have time to deal with that, but let let iTunes deal with your spammy comments. Yeah. And, Put uh, your ads into iTunes and make some poor guy click it away.
0: But we appreciate you listening. And uh, John, as always, another great show. Always enjoying to uh, a great time. Always enjoy doing this with you. So thank you. John Syracusa can be found on Twitter at Syracusa. There is no Z in Syracusa. That's how you remember how to spell it. I'm Dan Benjamin, Uh, also Dan Benjamin on Twitter, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you all next week. Have a good one.